This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. If you tell yourself, I'm going to fail, you will most likely fail. If you tell yourself, I'm going to succeed, you will most likely succeed. Because we have in our brain the reticular activating system who believes what we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so all day long, it tries to find evidence subconsciously to support that narrative. I tell my kids, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. So you want to be right about things that are going to serve you. And like, what's going to support that narrative? So you really have to be cautious of your self-talk. Because it's not just the self-talk with you, it's with the universe. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, the podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. And this is episode 263 with happiness junkie Beth Romero. Beth's book came out this month. Thank God for that because it is exactly what I needed. Once again, a little angel dropped this straight into my lap. Happy AF, simple strategies to get unstuck, bounce back, and live your best life. Happy AF is your comprehensive roadmap for happiness, drawing heavily from neuroscience, positive psychology, and behavioral science. The straightforward strategies and exercises in this how-to guide will teach you how to strengthen your happiness muscle and live up to your greatest potential. Happiness junkie Beth Romero serves up a life-affirming parable laced with contextual how-tos, all backed by clinical research, in fresh, insightful, and accessible language you can relate to. Kind of like your best friend giving it to you straight, with love, over cocktails. In this book, you will discover the art of letting go, proven ways to jujitsu your negative thoughts to transform your life, how goals, vision, and purpose are the stepping stones to greatness, the importance of gratitude and grace, in your happiness journey, the scientific link between daily routines, diet, and exercise on your mental well-being, and much, much more. Happiness is a choice, and it's within your reach, if you do the work, if you believe. Much like Dorothy with her ruby slippers, the power is always within you, just waiting for you to access it. So get ready to click your Milano's. I don't think I'm saying that right. Your mana, oh my God. Uh, your dog Martins or Adidas and find your happy place. As mentioned, this book dropped into my lap at the perfect time. And just like it says on the back of the book, that happiness is a choice and it's within your reach. I have to say that when you're going through heartbreak and furthermore, when you're feeling despair, Happiness often does not feel anywhere in the vicinity of your reach. You couldn't find arms long enough to reach happiness. And yet, what I learned through this book is it becomes within reach if we almost 
demand happiness from ourselves. We talk a lot about it committing to happiness in this episode. And I think in my own life, as I've been going through years of uncertainty, but also really breaking through barriers within myself, seeing myself gain access back to elements that I thought had been dead within me, and then even going beyond where I'd always wanted to get with myself, still, I would feel like, oh, but I don't have what I thought I needed in order to be happy. Uh, I'm not happy. I'm actually just accessing joy. And joy was the word that I really became aware of and I felt like was more honest to my experiences. But then I was out in LA, you know, accessing joy with a man I had just met. And he asked me, you know, about eight hours into our accidental date, he said, Chelsea, you don't have to answer this right now, but are you looking for a relationship or are you looking just to create moments? And I was like, oh my God. I mean, how does he know me so well? Are we soulmates? And it really made me pause. Oh my God, like the New York moment. Oh my God, like the joy I've been cultivating, this burst of a moment. But happiness It's almost like that's the relationship I haven't known how to commit to. I didn't think maybe I was even deserving of. And Beth speaks about how it's a practice that we can cultivate with ourselves, that it's a discipline that we can actually, you know, well, commit to. So I learned a lot here. And I was coming out of all these losses and really seeing for myself a strength that I feared wasn't within me. As I mentioned in the last episode, I really thought that after a series of deaths and a breakup, that I would crumble. And yet I found myself accessing a strength. And it didn't just come out of nowhere. I realize now, really, after speaking with Beth, that I've been planting seeds for that strength to be growing within me. But after speaking with Beth, I, I really began thinking, like, if I want to make sure that I maintain the strength that I realize now that I have, and even exceed the strength, but also give myself happiness, give myself a shot at really having happiness with myself, that I'm going to have to start behaving differently and start laying the groundwork. Beth talks about how in 2020, she was, you know, self-proclaimed roadkill. And yet that life can always come up with reasons and ways to break our heart. So how do we make sure that we aren't leveled like years before? How do I make sure that I'm not leveled like I was going into 2023? And one way to ensure that we can regain ourselves after life's inevitables is by pursuing happiness now, pursuing a practice of happiness now. So I'm so excited to have you on this journey with us. I hope that in listening to our conversation and in picking up Beth's book, Happy AF, you see that happiness is in fact in reach for you too. Let me be an example of 
giving yourself a shot at it, being willing to bet on yourself even more than you have. After I got off of this call and and recording this episode with Beth, I did something that I've been dragging my feet on for years. And that was I called up my insurance company and they walked me through different therapists that I could call. And I had not done that in years. Or I'd call and not hear back. And even this time around, I was calling, not hearing back or getting no's. And usually I would just be like, all right, uh, guys, we'll just have to wait a few more years. But again, after reading Happy AF, I was like, I want more for myself. I want better for myself. And I kept calling. And now I have a therapist. And I really credit Beth and the momentum she was able to add to my own journey of well-being and, dare I say, journey toward happiness. So thank you all for being here. Please rate and review this podcast. It does do wonders for it. All right. Episode 263 with Beth Romero. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this. I was reading your book last night and I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. It made my day. It's so well written. It's so well researched. You know, it was really important for me for it to be backed by clinical data. You know, that everything put forth in the book has a scientific finding to it and a backbone to it, but I wanted to present it in a way that was easily digestible and fun. So Mm -hmm. thank you. I appreciate that. Have you always been a collector of quotes? Do you know what's so funny? I really have. I was practicing for um, my audio book, which I have to go to New York to record. And I have so many quotes throughout the book. And I was trying to figure out how I was best going to frame it while I'm doing the audio book. And I thought about the majority of those quotes I had on my phone. Mm. I know it's going to sound so silly, but every time I see a quote or something that I like, I take a picture of it so that I keep it kind of as a love note to myself. So um, it was so neat that however, after having so many years of collecting these quotes that I like, and some of them could just be like Instagram memes that would come up that I would like take a picture Mm -hmm. of. Oh, I like that. That resonates with me. Or I'll take a picture somewhere that I was able to incorporate it and like thread it throughout the book. So yes, very much so. Yeah, it's something that I want to start up again. I used to have a book when I was in college and it was massive and I would put note cards of quotes that I came across. During one of my most unhappy periods of my life, I just chucked everything away. It was one of the dumbest. It just goes to show you how low I was at that I no, wouldn't I let get that, that go. But I like how I you say that. a love letter to yourself. Where do we begin? You know, I'll tell you this. I thought I was newly in love over the summer and I got onto a train in New York, you know, a subway and I saw the woman that waxes me and she waved me down and I go towards her and she goes, oh my God, she's like, you're so skinny. What's going on? And I kind of shifted and I was like, you know, I I have a boyfriend now. And she goes, are you happy? And it really took me back that question. And I'm someone that even if someone asked me how I am, I could never hide the reality. And I said at that that. time, you know, relationships don't just make you happy. I think they really reveal actually where you're at in your life. But in that moment on the train with her and her asking me, I was like, isn't it so wild that 
I can go into a store and someone can ask me how I am and I could say, oh, I'm joyful. Like I could feel this joy in an instant. But if someone asks me if I'm happy, that makes me pause because it feels like such a different question. And I've gone through a lot since that interaction on the train up until now. And I started recently really picking up on people saying to me, be happy. This word happy. I just, I heard it in a way that I haven't been hearing it. So after I've kind of like disappeared from the podcast and really had to pull myself back up after several heartbreaks in my life and just the inevitabilities of life. It's incredible to me that you're the next person I'm talking to. I love that. I I love, I mean, I love serendipity. I know you do. I know you do. I know you don't believe in coincidences and neither do I. I feel so guided in my life and I've been praying for angels. I took it seriously. I knew it was kind of meant to happen this way, this timing and speaking to you. What a different moment for me to be talking about happiness. And I would love to, yeah, hear from you. What is the difference between something like joy and something like happiness? For me, and I, I've given a lot of thought about this because I started writing this book after 2020, which it was essentially like a train wreck of my life, as it was for many people. You know, 2020 pandemic, everything leveled a lot of people. But as you said, like life is always going to have the ups and the downs, mm-hmm. the peaks and the valleys, but some tend to flatten you more than others. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just my roadkill moment. And I started researching too, like happy, like happy just seemed so out there, so esoteric of a term and so not something that was present in my life. And what I had to do in order to be happy. I don't think a lot of people give it the thought that you did in terms of like happy. Am I happy? You know what I mean? Because your rote answer is always just to be like, I'm fine. Thank you. Everything's great. Or how everything is just so perfectly curated on social media and everybody looks blissfully happy. And Happiness, I believe, is a commitment. It's a Mm. choice. And I really learned that writing the book, you know, and and I wrote about that towards the end of the book. I go, in life's ironies, I learned about love from my divorce (laughs) and I learned truly about happiness from my grief Mm. because I realized that it's going to come at you and things are going to keep happening and so forth. This year has not been an easy year. I had spinal surgery, incredible pain, blah, blah, blah. But why am I not leveled this year as opposed Mm. to 2020 was that I really made a committed effort to stay rooted in happiness. And by that, that daily practices in and out that keep you grounded in it, no matter what. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to be sad. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel your experience and so forth. But I feel more tethered. I feel tethered. And I had abandoned all those practices back in 2020. Essentially, I let myself be roadkill. You know, everything that I knew to be true, every decision that you make, it adds to your happiness equation or it detracts from it. So I pretty much was doing everything that would detract from it. I think of joy, you know, I guess I haven't really studied or researched enough of joy, but I think of joy as I reserve joy for like instance, you know what I mean? And, and I feel like certain, like the birth of my children, incredible joy or like something like that. But happiness, I mean, that to me is my kind of my daily goal 
it mm-hmm. is really to be happy, but to mean it and not just, not just say it. And I, I was saying to my brother, cause I just, I had really bad COVID and I such a high fever that I passed out in the middle of the night. I have this huge black and blue mark on my forehead. I gave myself a concussion. I was in the hospital with a concussion and COVID and and Matthew is like, wow, you really must have done something to make God mad at you. And I said, no, mm. Matthew, I'm actually trying to look at what was the positive of this. You know what I mean? To really frame everything mm. through that filter, what I talked about in the book. And it really made a difference for me and how I, that whole scenario, I was able to see that, okay, you know what, by having COVID and being bedridden for two weeks, wow, suddenly my back is feeling better. Or you know what? Mm my fall in the bathroom could have taken a way worse turn. I mean, God forbid you hit your head the wrong way. And so it was purposing how you look at everything and try to find something to be grateful for or a blessing in it. You know, when you're in it, right? When you're in the muck, when you're in the depression, like some of the more like woo-woo things, like do a gratitude journal, do personal affirmations. You just kind of like roll your eyes like, oh God, okay, that seems so trite. It was those very mechanisms that I found had the greatest benefit. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. really like doing the personal affirmations. What I found so fascinating in so much of the research was you tell yourself, I'm going to fail, you will most likely fail. If you tell yourself, I'm going to succeed, you will most likely succeed. Because we have in our brain, the reticular activating system who believes what we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so all day long, it tries to find evidence subconsciously to support that narrative. I tell my kids, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. So you want to be right about things that are going to serve you and like what's going to support that narrative. So you really have to be cautious of your self-talk because it's not just the self-talk with you, it's with the universe. And I know some of that may sound like woo-woo, but it's so honest to God true. It really is. And and when I tell people, and that's why I have it um, on the cover, it says simple strategies because they are simple, not easy. It's not easy to implement them day in and day out. That takes commitment. What made me pause about whether I was really happy was that internal voice and knowing how much of a contrast it was to the way that I was showing up in the world. There was such a difference between just how I was with people, but what I was telling myself internally. So I really related to in the incongruence. It was an incongruence. Yeah. And, And because of that, I felt like there was such a lack of integrity in a way. And so I think what really took me out this time last year was realizing how how severe I've been internally with myself. And you talked about how relentless your own self-doubt had been. Brutal. It can be brutal. It's that voice in your mind, nonstop. And what I, I thought was also interesting was that now you have two daughters, and I think that it seems like you have an intention to parent them in a way where they don't have that internal voice or to help them with that internal voice on the head with that, honestly. And that was probably a big motivation for this book as well, because in my perfect world, I wish these practices were taught (laughs) in grade school, in elementary school, in high school, because they go beyond geometry or, I mean, it's basic like (laughs) self-preservation, but how important your self-talk is with yourself and how that can 
frame your entire life. And that's probably one of the biggest reasons for the book was that one, I wanted to lead by example for my children, but two, I really wanted them to learn from it. You know, and some of the stories, my youngest, she was like, mom, you know, sometimes I wonder if I should have been reading this because I forget like how frank I am in my stories. Um, And she's a teenager and we laughed about it. But I said, you know, babe, I mean, stories are messy, but I go, I'm also a firm believer that show up like authentically. And like when you show up authentically in your beautiful mess, your beautiful brokenness, I believe you allow others you create that safe space to others show up the same way, you know? And at the end of the day, we're all just vulnerable and we all just like want to have connection and like meet authentically with each other. And especially with teenagers, I try to tell them everything on social media, like it's such a point of like depression and anxiety for them because you're doing this constant comparison of all these perfectly curated pictures that aren't real half the time especially with AI. Now, literally, you're not looking at something that's real and where I want their focus to be. So I'm really, I think one of my biggest things, I think as a parent that what I can do, the biggest gift I can give them is healthy self-esteem and equip them with the tools that they need to really navigate through the world in a positive way, in a positive way for them to be their best and like happiest through authentic self. I want my kids to be happy yet that there are some out there who kind of really buy into the happiness thing and believe this could be your lot in life or that you can't be happy in your job or so forth. And again, I, I look at as all of that as a choice. You know, we can be happy in whatever we do if we choose to. If you really start examining your filter of how you look at everything that happens in your day, it's just so crazy. I live in, um, do you live in New York? Yeah. I live in Center City, Philadelphia. And I was telling the kids yesterday, I was um, driving and getting over COVID. So I'm not like my A game. And by accident, I like, I started before I should have. And this woman drove by me and she just so vehemently flipped me off. (laughs) I said to the girls, like, that I actually felt bad for her. You know what I mean? Because my filter is so different now. Like, my filter was like, oh my God, you poor thing that you have like so much anger in you. Like, like that's your reaction to like- Right, again, a choice. Trying, yeah. A choice. To take her kid to school. And like- you know, I don't know about people- you, but when things like that happen to me, when something is off, I really like pause and examine where I'm at. I feel like fortunate that a lot of that negativity, like I'm not a target for any- it anymore. But when it happens, I really try to collect myself so I don't continue seeing that sort of animosity in the world. 100%. 100%. And and I said to the kids, I go, you know, back in the day, like I'm East Coast Italian, I probably would have, but you know, instead, like I felt compassion for her. Like I was like, oh God, I hope her day gets better. But it was just, it was so funny how when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And speaking of which, like having to look, for example, you talk about like your ex-husband, you know, the decision to look at him or to make room, and this could be toward anyone we have conflict with, and trying to see them with compassion, to make room for maybe other reasons why things may have happened. Could you explain that a little bit? 
I call it like walking in someone else's shoes. It's an empathy walk. Um, empathy walk. Yeah. One, I think one of the quotes that I had in there, and I try to remember, I don't know if it was by Stephen Covey or who it was, but it was one of my favorites, was that we judge other people by their actions while we judge ourselves by our intentions, yes. right? Oh like, my God, that, that, that one really gets to me. That one really gets to me, that but quote. I mean, we do that all the time. Yeah. I'm like, well, I didn't mean that. Like, that wasn't my intention. And like, so we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but meanwhile, we're ready to crucify everyone else based on their actions. And so basically, it's taking the time to like, Maybe look at their intentions, you know what I mean? Or what could have brought them to this area or to view them as the child growing up and what their experiences Mm. may have been and what their filters coming from and what maybe they're acting out from. And it's basically giving someone the same benefit of the doubt that we give ourselves. You know what I mean? So like, I would take that myself. I'm always like, well, that was not my intention. Like I, my heart was here. And this was why I was doing this. And I'm sorry if it came out that way. And I, I wanted to be able to do the same thing to other people, especially people that you're in conflict with. And with my ex-husband in particular, I mean, that was not an easy exercise. It wasn't a once and done exercise, but a life-changing exercise in that changed my happiness. Because for so long, I'd been looking at the things that he was not doing or that I wished he had been doing. And it was causing me so much anxiety and strife and sadness and heartbreak. And when I instead tried to look at the positives of what he's doing, he is bringing to the table, I was able to appreciate him more. It was almost like a little a softness cascade yes. in my heart, if you would. You that's know what, what I, mean? I was feeling. That's the exact word that I was feeling. Like, how can you soften towards someone? And that's what it really requires. It's like a softening. And I write that at the end of the book. You know, I call it a soft hard. You know yeah. what I mean? Being soft hard, but soft strong. Like, because I didn't, what is it? You don't want to be bitter. You want to be better. Like, I never want to come out of life lessons as hardened or yes. more callous or more cynical or so forth. Able to come out a softer, more compassionate, more empathic person, then I'm winning. By changing how you look at people, a challenge, especially for ones who really hurt you, you're giving a gift to yourself. You really are. Because it it freed up my heart and I was able to release a lot of that anger and pain and really appreciate the things that he did do as opposed to what he didn't do. And like what you focus on grows, you know, that's the bottom line. If you focus on positive, you're going to see positive, positive is going to grow. If you focus on negative, that same will hold true. I am really conscious of that now in my life, whereas it took being rock bottom and going through all the books and all the, I mean, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of research articles and books cited in my book. And a lot of it I already knew, but like you need a refresher course every now and then. Also really uh, something that you wrote about is you said that when there's like anxiety and depression, there can be this spiral that you're in where you begin to question everything and you forget yeah. everything that you know. Why do you think that is that there's almost like this clearing and we get to this space where we have to ask ourselves so many questions once again? And it's exactly what you said. Literally, I was at a point where 
the depression, anxiety in its own lane, right? And let instead I let it pervade everything. So now I was questioning everything. Mm-hmm. My purpose on earth, my motherhood, like my professional career, like everything, like everything was like target. And again, mm-hmm. I think that's a function of what you focus on grows. And I just was focusing so much on the grief and the misery that it just mm-hmm. pervaded mm-hmm. every area of my life as opposed to in its own lane and not Mm. having this incident or this event be an indictment of my entire existence, you know? Oh my God. You know what I mean? Mm. And I still don't even regret that happening because the fact that I had like a total clearing, like I, 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 I say it, but like, it's almost literal too. Like literally I almost had to like burn everything down to just start new. Okay. Like start fresh every day, one foot in front of another. Okay. What, like, this is what I know that if I do all these practices on a regular basis, and we talk about so many different practices in the book, and I really cover everything from physical to the way you think, to rewiring your brain, to emotional, to social support, everything you can think of. There's not a one fits all approach for everybody. You know, just like there's many ways that you can get to a destination. There's many different ways you can get there and there's many different tools you can use. And I tell people, try on the ones for you that work. Like attitude was really huge for me. I know it really was. It was all over the book. I got to tell you, it made me so happy about how so long ago I thought of Thank You Heartbreak. You know, that there's always been something that I thought was very almost rebellious, like this rebellious spirit where people hadn't thought to combine yeah, two things. That. Yeah. Yes. I love that. And I love Thank You Heartbreak because it's so true. Like when you repurpose the pain, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what do they say? It's like when you, where you have the cracks, that's where the light gets let in. And I, I love that. And much as regret that time period, because one, that brought me to where I am right now. I mean, I never set out to write a book. I never did. You know, I I just didn't. And I always say the book kind of set out to write me. I just started writing one day and I just started getting all my thoughts on paper. And then I was like, no, I think there could be a book here. And then it Mm. slowly took form. It was one of the quotes that I had in my phone because I literally, I have hundreds of them. It was a Brene Brown quote I, that I scrolled by in my phone. And it said, one day you're going to tell your story and it's going to be a survival guide mm-hmm. for someone else. Mm-hmm. And that really hit me. Like, you know, we all get knocked down and we all know these basic facts. But you know what? Sometimes we just need a refresher course. We need a reminder that like happiness is attainable and it's a choice and we can stay grounded in it. I like that it's being presented to me as a practice because last year really feeling so taken out by life and just a a low that I, I hadn't seen myself in before. Then back to back, like losing my grandmother, losing a relationship, losing this thought of moving somewhere, then losing my uncle and then just losing my dog. It was all back to back. Or again, like that collective grief, something that I've always been so afraid of in my life, you know, loss and death was really what started this podcast. So to go through all of that after I had been in a place where so much of me wanted to die, so many of my patterns wanted to die this year, I thought if anything was going to take me out, this was it. 
you know, if I'm such a fragile state and now I'm going through all these losses, this is going to take me out. And I think that, you know, things can always be presenting themselves, right? And we can't go through life with this constant fear of the next thing that could set us backwards. So for me, it's like, is this understanding of like, holy shit, like I do not want to see myself ever. And it can happen, but get as low as I did in January of last year. And so I do need to have a practice in place. I need to really find ways where I can help myself when something happens that I wasn't prepared for, or maybe I was prepared for, but it's happening. So the fact that like we could almost be disciplined about our happiness. hundred percent. I mean, Chelsea, you are hitting it. It is a practice and it having everything set up, the storm comes, you know what I mean? Because like, you don't want to batten down the hatches after the storms come. Yes. At that point, it's already like yes. it's already a disaster area. Having everything set up and ready to go because storms are going to keep coming. Yeah, I mean that's just a function of life. One thing I want to ask you about is the possibility of yet. I thought that was really really powerful because one, I mean, the darkness of wanting to give up reaching the end with ourselves. And so much of that can be this internal dialogue where we think nothing is changing, therefore it's us. And the possibility of yet can give us faith to continue. I can so tell that you read my books because you were like picking on some of my most favorite lines. So I love that. I am a huge believer in the possibility of yet. And a lot of that comes into my spiritual faith too. You know, where it talks about God has plans for you, plans for you to prosper and so forth. And I don't believe that means that my plans peaked when I was 30, you know? Mm. I used to believe that. I used to say that I peaked at 10. Right. Terrible. Is that terrible? Like I'm 56, you know, and I still believe I am going to find the absolute love of my life. You know what I mean? I just, and I know that everything that I have been through is just guiding me to that time to that moment. Mm -hmm. And my final chapter of the book, I talk about that because I feel like so many times we put these stigma on ourselves of this timeline of this by this age, this by this age, this by that age. And I literally go through every decade and up until late seventies, where I talk about people finding their purpose or their aha or their moment when their time came. And for some people that was at 50s, Grandma Moses started painting at 78. You know, like there is no timeline on the potential for our soul and our heart. And when you really embrace that thought, it just, it makes every day so ripe with like unbelievable possibility of what is yet to be. It, it, Mm. it's just, again, it's how you look at things, you know? And so I do not believe by any stretch of the imagination that I have peaked and that I am over. I look at this more still now of like, okay, what is in my next chapter? What is my next chapter going to be? And it's got to be the best that's yet to come because Mm. now it's going to take all these lessons and all these things that I have learned and that I found out about myself up until this point. And that's going to be able to play out in this new magnificent way. So when you look at it like that, like what the future holds is, is so exciting. I, mm-hmm. I'm i a big believer in the possibility of yet. And I think when you look at life through that lens, that in and of itself 
is a huge harbinger for happiness. You wish that you could give that hope and possibility to everybody, you know? I guess that's my biggest hope for the book is that if they get like a glimmer of hope or possibility of what their life can be, because we all have this magnificent treasure within us and, you know, it's up to us to unearth it. And something else to take from your book, I resonated with this is, you know, we can worry so much that it's not going to happen for us, right? And we can spend so much time in this false reality right now if it's not happening. And you talk about how you had worried so much about whether you would ever have children, thinking that wasn't going to happen. And then you got married at 37 and two weeks later, you ended up getting pregnant. Literally. Yeah. Literally. And how so much, you know, just like robbing ourselves of life in the moment. And we don't know how actually it will unfold and how it can unfold in our favor. So you might as well embrace what's already here and what's already happening. And in a way, you know, give yourself room to be surprised. It it really hit me, my God, imagine if it does go in the way that I've always dreamt. And I lost out on all these precious years where I really could have been free where I really could have been free and experimenting. I think worry is one of the biggest thief of our joy. It robs us of our joy. And that example, my girlfriends will still talk about. Do you remember all the conversations you used to have about your your aging ovaries and you're never going to get pregnant and blah, 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 blah. And literally, that's where like there are plans that are bigger than yours. Literally, I got pregnant within two weeks. And then three months after giving birth, I got pregnant again. So, and I had spent years really like agonizing that, oh my God, I really want to have kids and so forth. And all for nothing, all for nothing, as opposed to letting things unfold and knowing Mm. that there's a bigger plan at play, you know? And um, I try to instill that in my girls as well. It's try to just like be in the moment, be in the moment. You know, the past is depression, (laughs) focusing on the future is just anxiety, be in the moment. And experience the blessing in every single moment. Cause there are, there are blessings all around you. If you just take the time to look for them. So when I have very messy stories about myself in the book, I mean, I have messy stories, but I, I tell my girls, the dark lines of your tapestry, I mean, they make up the beauty of it. They do. You can't regret the dark because that just highlights the light. And I feel like even the worst things that I have experienced, or I would not want them to experience, especially through this book, I was able to repurpose them. And so that they served a new purpose as opposed to pain. And that there's something very empowering when you do that. I just want people to have hope and to just know that like happiness isn't some woo-woo esoteric notion, you know what I mean? And that it's a practice. Right. And I think that one of the most important things is, is like happiness is in, and this was what you kind of set out to do is to find that it wasn't circumstantial Mm -mm. to not let it be based on circumstance because, you know, that was like the great story of my life is when, then, when I have this, or when I'm in this place, then I will be happy. Yeah. I I call them, we called it the deferred happiness plan. You know, I'll be happy when I'll be happy if, and I mean, there is no bigger setup for failure than that. You know, there should be no when or if it's now Mm. it's now. And it's the choices that you take every single day. And, um, when you, it's, it's like anything, it's like with any practice or habit, like even going to the gym, when you start 
doing it. And at first it doesn't feel natural. Like it didn't feel like when right, I right. rose with depression, I felt like so fake, like, oh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for my slippers. You know what I mean? Like I really had to, I really had to stretch, you know what I mean? Or like, oh, walking in outside in the fresh air. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it felt fake until it didn't. Because suddenly, like, it just starts to become more and more natural. And that's when, that's where your brain, when you start to rewiring your brain, your brain helps pick up the slack. And then it starts helping to, like, find things throughout the day to support that narrative of, okay, like, we are, like, we're going to be happy. We are on this mission. And, like, it's crazy how when, and affirmations are huge, 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 huge. And my back resisted them. I've always resisted them. Yeah. I thought they were so stupid. I was like, oh, give me a break. You know what I mean? But then when I read all the studies about it, I'm like, this You're is like, why not? Well, I, I, I got from you a lot was like, why not just experiment with something? You know, like you talk about meditation and it's like, and I was the same way, like, oh, really? And you've done so much research. Why not just try it on and see if it can make the difference? Why not? Like, why not? I know my favorite line. That's like one of my dad's mantras. He's always like with me, like, why not? Why not? But but it's so true. Cause when I read the meditations, I said, the only thing I hated more than meditation was like burpees. You know what I mean? I was like, oh God, I don't want to do meditation. But then I, I downloaded the calm app and then I started listening to the gratitude, like meditation thing at night. And suddenly like, Mm -hmm. it's like a slow build. I can't even explain it. It's like, Whereas depression can be an insidious process, so can happiness. You know, mm-hmm. it's like these little yeah. seeds you start to plant that suddenly start to bloom. And when you do multiple areas of your life and like having that set up, whether it's meditation, whether it's gratitude, whether it's getting a full night's sleep, whether it's eating food, whether it's exercising your body, whether it's staying connected to your community, your family and your loved ones. That's why I even talked about the way you connect to make such a difference. I mean, I have a huge, I have some of the best group of friends you could ever ask for. And you're fortunate. You're fortunate. But I still became roadkill because I wasn't sharing with them. Oh, you weren't tapping in with them. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You know what the mantra was for me that saved me last year was tell on myself. Yes. 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 Oh my God. Chelsea, I can't even tell you how many times I say that. I'll say that to my friends. I'm like, I'm telling on myself right now. Really? So many, I swear. So many of my friends got so pissed off at me because they didn't know what I was going through until they read my book for the first time. Mm. When they were like reading the chapters, when they're like, Beth, we had no idea. You didn't like tell us any of that because whether it's shame, like shame can keep you such a prisoner of like, I didn't want to tell people that like, oh God, like, hi, I'm roadkill, <laughs> mm. you know? And So even though I had the social network, the fact that I wasn't sharing what was going on in my life, it was all for nothing. If you set yourself up all around to really have it be a grounded practice, when the storm comes, because it will come, you're going to be tethered, you know? And I, I know so much more now because as you said, as you get older, I mean, my mother's sick, you know what I mean? Like, yes, my father had passed in 2020, but as we're getting older, people that we love are getting sick, they're passing, you're dealing with grief, probably more so than we did when we were, or when I was in my 20s. And so there are things that just keep happening. And it's not letting 
life rob you of the happiness that you can have and that you can be grateful even when you have COVID and a concussion. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's um, the ultimate test. Yeah, right. I mean, literally the, the two weeks before my book launch, I was like, well, this wasn't how I had like planned my book launch, but you know, it's happening for whatever reason it is. So I'm just going to roll with that. And um, if just even a handful of people get that from the book, nothing makes me happier. I, one girl woman reached out on me on Facebook and literally had me in tears because mm. She said, I felt like your book was like my friend talking to me. It was what I needed to hear at that perfect moment. And again, I don't believe in coincidences. I believe we're drawn to materials or so forth that when we read, we're meant to be reading it, are meant to be having that conversation, are meant to be having that encounter. But just the fact that she said that, that was to me better than any New York Times review. You know what Mm. I mean? Because that's just what you want to do. You want to impact other people in a positive way. So like, And it's so significant to hear from someone. I think that extra touch really speaks volumes of how much she must have taken away from it too. I know for myself that, you know, when my dog passed away and she was like my guide dog through like blinding years of- Oh, I get it. I'm a dog. Oh yeah. And you write about that. You write about it. But I, uh, I like prayed that she had been like my guide, that I would take on the guidance and- asking the world, lead me to what's next and I'll go. And I think that's another thing. I know there can be resistance to faith. There can be resistance to a higher power. But I I think that when you can't see the way on your own, just asking and maybe trusting in what comes up next and the invitations you receive and, you know, the book that falls in your lap, whatever it is, that that's supposed to be what you're supposed to hold on to next. That's supposed to be the next step. And letting that begin guiding you, I think it plays into the gratitude practice that you talk about and and beginning to see things differently is even just like with something like your book, like maybe people that are listening to this, like believing that, hey, I was supposed to find this right now and let me see what's here for me. And maybe this is supposed to hold me. I couldn't believe also in your book when you talked about being carried by, I think, like God. And I've really felt in these days, I say that I'm often solo, but I realize that I'm never alone. And I really have felt like the world showed up for me in a big way and has been carrying me. And to read that in your book, I was so moved and emotional because I was like, more confirmation that that's what's been going on. And I have to tell you, just like you said, that depression happens slowly and happiness too. It's like all these ways that I've been carried and people have been showing up. I see like angels showing me that I'm not alone. That didn't happen out of nowhere. It happened over years of me planting seeds for myself. Like this podcast, you know, all these episodes. I started stitching together this safety net for myself a long time ago. And my guests have really been guides. I think about one guest in particular that I really feel like saved my life in a big way. And that didn't happen out of nowhere. It's like I starting to take responsibility that I've been working toward this so I could have that fallback Absolutely. when I need it. Absolutely. Yeah. You created the space for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think that is a prime example, literally, of you planting all the seeds that are there that when when they hit, you, they just didn't happen randomly. You had been planting these all along. Which can make you really feel a different level of trust in yourself too, that even when you can be so hard on yourself, look what you've been doing for yourself, actually. Mm-hmm. 
And it makes you realize how, when you are intentional, you know, yes. you, you were intentional yes. about how you set up your life and who you were surrounding yes. Yeah. And it really made a huge difference. That really did. As you said, some of the guests that you've encountered, yes. I mean, that, that was all a function of you intentionally setting up this podcast, the nature of the podcast, yes. of what your overarching theme was. So, I mean, you, you essentially created your own cradle. Uh, Amazing. I, I love the- that. I coined the word break upward, like the direction. Curious what it might mean to you. I mean, I, I reference a very similar concept of falling forward mm, in the yeah. book. You know what I mean? Like so many people think that when they fall, they have to fall backwards, but really you can fall forward and you can take that fall as an opportunity for growth and to, to really get you to a, a further space, a higher space. And I believe the same with the break upward. To me, that's very similar in what that means. and. I love that you repurposed it because again, that's like repurposing pain, you know, breakups are painful in the moment. There is no doubt, but there is also no doubt in my mind that every breakup that I have had has made me more beautiful for the scars. You know, that's why I talk about that Japanese artwork, Kintsuki, where they take the broken pieces of pottery and they, reapply gold liqueur, lacquer all around to make the beautiful pieces come back together, but in a more beautiful way. I think the same of falling forward or breaking upward, like we are more beautiful for our scars. We're just a different type of artwork that is more nuanced now and even better than the original. So I don't regret any breakup I've ever had. I think regret is such a wasted emotion and shame because every tear that I cried, every heart fracture that I had, it made mm-hmm. me who I am today. And I mean, thank God for that. So I love you repurposing the idea of breaking upward. I love that. I think that's beautiful. It's falling forward. Mm-hmm. Which also, I cannot believe this. I was going through old photos and after I'd broken up with my boyfriend and my grandmother died, I flew back, you know, the next day to New York. I had to do this job here. And I was in this hotel room and someone took a picture of me, a bathroom. I swear it was like a month later, I was looking at these photos and I zoomed in on the back through this window in a bathroom, which you never, there's never a view in a bathroom in New York. I could see this building and it said forward on it. And I was like, oh my God, even then I just felt like the world communicating, even then I didn't know how I was going to continue going. And it was like right there forward, just messages everywhere. We just look for them. Like you've been keeping these quotes and you said they're like love letters to yourself. I'll never forget someone coming on my podcast and I was in such pain. And she just said, one thing is to leave every day and go looking for love letters from the universe. And I always love taking pictures of quotes I see. And then I got so into taking pictures of shirts that people were wearing, just looking for the message. I really right. encourage everyone to, to look for your messages. You know, the it world is communicating. Like, I would have never thought years ago that my taking all these pictures of quotes mm-hmm. would have ended up in a book. You know what I mean? But then 
when I was going through the book, I'm like, you know, this quote would fit perfectly here. Or, you know, the, the quote spoke to me for a reason. Well, they say a lot about what's been going into your mind. Yeah, right? yeah, 100%, 100%. And I just love things that speak to me. So again, it's the messages are there. You just have to like, listen. And tell everyone where they can find you. Oh, great. Uh, I have a website, bethromeroauthor.com. And that has links. I mean, you can buy the book on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, uh, books.org, you name it. It's for sale everywhere. But um, it just launched yesterday. Ooh. So I know it's super exciting. My friends were were showing me their Amazon deliveries by nine o'clock last night of the book. So it's still very surreal, but um, mm. I'm super excited. It's such an undertaking. And to even be in a place where you have a message like this, it's such a calling. Congratulations. Thank really, you so congratulations. much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all the time. Like you really, you picked up on aspects of the book that were my favorite. So I just love that the same things resonated with you that I loved. So oh, I- yeah. I was up so this was great. I, I was up so late last night because you even had such good film references, and I never watch movies. I was watching Rocky clips last night and a Field of Dreams. I was like, holy shit! I mean, I take it all so seriously now. So I'm like, each thing. I mean, I, I went down the rabbit hole with you, so I appreciate that. Oh, I love that. And um, oh, you're amazing, Chelsea. Well, I will definitely reach out when I come to New York. Sorry. Okay, perfect. The conversation. Alrighty. Celebrate yourself and I will talk to you later. If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at breakupward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D dot com. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.